Before we get to the show, we have a request. The media, as you knew it, is dead. Fox is dead. So don't turn it on and listen to it in the afternoon and during the evening hours till you go to bed, as most people used to do in the living room. Support free media. There's not many channels out there. There's the Epic Times, Gateway Pundit, a few others. But there's CDM. We are a growing global media conglomerate. We have websites and reporters all over the world, 12 at last count. The Colorado Free Press is coming on next week, and we're opening another paper in Montana after that. So the cavalry is coming, but we need your support. We have a no-ad subscription. It's 10 bucks a month. You don't see any ads. We know people don't like ads on their phones. They don't like pop-ups. Well, you can do something about it. So when you're sitting around the fire when you're older and your grandchild asks you, what did you do during the Great People's War, Papa? You can tell them, I helped CD Media and I helped Free Media save the Republic. So go to our channels, go to cdm.press, go to the Georgia Record, go to wherever you can find CD Media. We have a lot of websites and simply sign up for our no ad subscription. It's 10 bucks a month. It's not a lot. There's a discount for an annual subscription. So help us out, support free media, and do something. You know, there was 3% that did something during the American Revolution. Be the 3%. Help CD Media get our no-ad subscriptions. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Christine Dolan, and this is our Globalist Show in Plain Sight. Today, we are honored to have Laura and Scott Bono. Over two years ago, Bobby Kennedy Jr. suggested to me to understand the history of the vaccinations and the injuries that they have caused, that I meet Laura Bono and Scott Bono and Mary Holland. And since that time, they have, Laura and Mary have become presidents of co-presidents of my book club i've read uh, all the books going that have been written so far that have been ignored by the my brethren in the legacy media and one of the books the first book that i received was evidence of harm this is a story that is extraordinary because if you think that the government does not lie to you the answer is they have lied to you and they're lying to you now because of the injuries that have been caused to children who have autism Laura and Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Christine. It's nice to be here, Christine. Yeah, it's, it's good to see you because your son Jackson really um, educated me in a nanosecond. Um, you are parents of a child who has been severely uh, harmed by vaccinations. And, but this story goes deeper in, in because it, it, it hits, it, it's so outrageous about what happened and the cover-up that ensued by the U.S. government. Uh, and I want people to know this. I mean, there is an event this week. It's in Atlanta. We'll get to the details at the end of the show. But let's talk about this. And, and let's start with your journey, because I think that that will help people to understand just how impactful having your government lie to you is upon one's family. Laura, let's, tell us about Jackson. Uh, well, Jackson uh, was born in 1989. Um, he met, I mean, he was uh, Apgars of eight and 10. Um, he was just a very healthy little boy. He reached all of his developmental milestones, maybe even earlier. A lot of our friends said, oh my God, that's the smartest little baby I've ever seen. He was um, really, uh, he was 18 months younger than his twin sisters. So we were certainly very aware of what, you know, correct development looked like. Um, and soon after his, it was his 16, he was about 16 and a half months old. Um, we went in finally, I was running late on getting his vaccines for 15 months and 18 months. They said, oh, kids do it all the time, just combine these vaccines. Um, and so they ended up combining his 15 month and 18 month vaccines, then at 16 and a half months. Um, we then saw just a 
regression that was horrible. And, um, you know, and when I say horrible, it was that he lost all of his skills. I mean, except for walking. So he would no longer even hold a spoon in his hand. So the fine motor was gone. He was not, he seemingly didn't hear what we were saying. He wouldn't turn when we would call his name. Um, and in fact, even loud noises, he didn't turn. He seemed to be more interested in the dust flying in the air than he would, you know, his sisters trying to play with him. Um, he developed very um, scary <laughs> diarrhea and vomiting that would even scare him, you know, vom projectile vomiting across the room. It would scare this little baby that still was trying to figure out what was going on with him. But after a few months, he didn't even care about that. It was just, he was um, truly lost. And Scott and I were lost of trying to find help for him. And we lived outside of D.C. at that time. So we found ourselves at Children's Hospital where he was diagnosed with pervasive developmental disorder. But it had been after a very severe regression of about four months. Um, and then he continued to regress even after he was diagnosed. Because at the time they said, does he have any problems eating anything? Has he whittled down his food? Does he sleep at night? Yeah, he did do those things. Well, six months later, he was awake all night and he wasn't eating, but maybe two or three foods. And, um, you know, he just continued down that horrible path. Um, we've done everything for Jackson. We've tried everything. His immune system, for sure, is what the issue is. Certainly all sorts of autoimmune diseases going on with him. Um, and uh, so everything that we've done all of his life um, has got has landed him where he is. But basically, and we're happy with how far he's progressed. But at the same time, Jackson will always need 24-7 care unless something miraculous happens with science and um, these children. I believe Jackson is certainly aware in there, He, but he cannot tell us what he's thinking or um, get away, get out his thoughts. So, um, you know, we, we have the alarm system on right now, so we can, we can be talking with you. Um, Jackson might go outside looking for a Dr. Seuss book and climb in someone's window. And um, he's 34 years old. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's the sad, sad fact about Jackson Bono. So, Scott, you're, when this book came out, Evidence of Harm, which is a story of the cover-up um, by the U.S. government and the mercury that was put into the vaccinations, mm -hmm. uh, and we'll get into the details in a moment. Your, your mom, when, when Laura gave me the book, your mom had put a note in the book for, for the readers of the book talking about just you know how heartbroken she was and, and just the need for these kids and for people to understand what was going on. As a father, explain, explain to people, because people need to be aware of this. I mean, the one thing that I've learned in the last three years is you know, how much I didn't know as an investigative journalist, and because I'm, I'm not a medical uh, reporter, I'm, I'm not a science reporter, but this is a story that people need to know because this could, it's a Russian roulette with the vaccinations. And once it lands on somebody's table, it forever changes their life. And I mean, if there's anything that I beg the audience to do is to wake up because this could happen to, to your family. Explain, explain the impact as a, as a father and a husband uh, on, on this. Uh, the stresses that come with with being a parent are ubiquitous. Uh, parents feel, you know, the need to provide uh, safety, support, health, good place to live, uh, good marriage, you know, partner with your spouse. The the loss of a child while he's still present is one of the most heartbreaking things one can go through. The physical being is there, but a veil is put over this individual that is your baby, is your son, is in some cases daughters. It, it changes how you live your life. Right now, Laura mentioned, you know, he's 34, we've got our house alarm because he'll wander off for somebody's book in another house 
And if you're five years old, a wandering child is kind of cute. Sometimes you get a little nervous, but as an adult 34-year-old male breaking in or walking into some stranger's house becomes a criminal issue, criminal mm-hmm. justice issue. Well, fortunately, we're familiar with the police. Where I'm going with, where I'm going here is that it changes how you live your life to the point where uh, your priorities get significantly shifted, your actions and activities are altered, uh, marriages uh, are stressed to the point. Uh, the divorce rate in, in the autism community is even higher than the divorce rate in the death of a child. And, and, and the death of a child is, I, I can't imagine the grief or the pain what parent would be going through, but can't imagine uh, the death of a marriage brought about by uh, this overwhelming vigilance that's required of parents with autistic kids. Uh, I think that's the most wearing thing on, on, on parents' plates right now with an autistic child is the 365, seven days a week, 24 hours a day requirement of being vigil to what your child is doing, eating, sleeping, uh, metabolic processes. Uh, they these children don't don't and cannot advocate for themselves so when they go out into the world whether it is public education private education or whatever setting if they're lucky enough to get work in whatever setting they find themselves if they're being hurt or abused or uh you as a parent have to discern in the absence of language the behaviors that are indicative of something is wrong. We've, we've lived through this. We had to litigate against the school system for having them beat our child and having to learn that his abuser uh, was his aide. These are the challenges. This is just a challenge of having a special needs child who can't advocate, speak for themselves. So again, this is a level of vigilance that is, uh, it wears you down. And I can, un- I can understand how marriages get stressed to the point. And I'm blessed to um, have as a partner, my wife of, you know, more than 40 years. And, uh, uh, I don't know how we could be going through this individually without each other. So. It really is it, quite a story. So, Laura, let me, let me ask you, give us the background of the story because the U.S. government has been lying to the public and they've been lying for a very long time. I mean, this is, this is actually criminal. Well, I mean, and I, I don't understand why no one's been held accountable for this. But let's get into what this story is all about, because it's the Mercury, the FDA, the CDC, the NIH, the NIAID, they all knew uh, at one point in time. And they did their internal investigation and they have continued to lie to the the public. So give us the background about how this Simpson-Wood conference cover up the background to it, and then what happened at Simpson-Wood 23 years ago. Okay, so um, so as I mentioned earlier, Jackson was um, born in 89, and he was diagnosed in 91. So right around, um, you know, 18 to 20 months old is when he was diagnosed. Um, throughout the 90s, parents like us what they were just more and more right because that was the beginning of the real autism epidemic it's all the graphs are growing with the population and then around 89 that birth cohort and that's proven in the F- uh, fda actually and oh, epa actually did a study and that's when they found out that that was the change here so more and more parents scott and i were meeting and and they were telling about their story. Yes, their sons also, usually sons, but sometimes daughters regressed. 
um, after vaccines. And so we were a group of parents that being connected by the internet, right? I mean, the beginning of email, 95, 96, we started grouping together, Yahoo groups saying, you know, this happened to my son, what about that? You know, we would find maybe a good treatment. People were trying to help. We went from being a group of parents that were, that not were just trying to help other people, but trying to tell the United States government, look, this is happening to a group of children. And we were earnest trying to tell them, thinking that they didn't know and that maybe we would be able to prevent other children because we were convinced it was after vaccines, you know, and why our child, I don't know, susceptibility. We wanted them to look into it. It was all about helping our kids in treatment. Did they, did they, did they, at that point in time though, I mean, as I recollect, a lot of the doctors were telling people that this was genetic. That's correct. So Jackson was, we were told that um, we really weren't right and that he didn't have those skills and that we were just parents hoping, you know, we were looking for something to blame. Um, We actually were called sharks in the water when we were trying to um, tell um, government officials that something had happened after vaccines. Um, So, uh, you know, but, but Simpson would, put a stake in the ground at that time when we read those transcripts that the group of parents went from, we just need to tell them, and then I'm sure they're going to help our children and help other children and make sure this doesn't happen. It went from that they don't know to they do know. They do know and they're covering it up and they're not doing anything. And they are very willing to continue to let a subset of children be just like Jackson, to be like others. And, 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 you know, let's, let's make it clear. It doesn't stop with autism, right? It's, it's the neurological disorder, you know, spectrum. So, you know, when we started seeing ADHD, you know, in the eighties and, you know, then of course, when they added more vaccines, it got worse, you know, so, you know, it's across the spectrum of neurological disorders. Some kids can have speech, but they have horrible, tinnitus or they have Tourette's or, you know, and that's, you know, the CDC has looked into all of that as well. So um, anyway, that's the, for me, that's the background of at around 2000 when Simpson would happen. And then after that, there was the group of parents that said, not only do we need to continue to let good government officials know what's happening, but to, to let other people know that this is happening to a subset of children and not only that to go after the people that are still causing it. And that's where that corruption and cover up comes in that we all started trying to do in the early 2000s. So let's talk about Simpson. That was a meeting that was held 23 years ago um, in, in Atlanta. And at that meeting, what happened? People need to know, I mean, the players at the table, what they found, how that meeting came about. Well, so um, there was there was a New York, a New Jersey congressman that asked the FDA to look into how much mercury children were getting. He was doing a separate thing it was about New Jersey and, you know, what he, it was the right thing to do. So when the FDA started looking, they started finding out that across the board, this big exposure to mercury was coming from something called thimerosal in vaccines. And that triggered a lot of studies. So the CDC, unbeknownst to any of us, but at the time, asked uh, a young scientist there named Tom Verstraten, Thomas Verstraten, to look into the data. He was an epidemiologist. He started looking. What he found was that if a child got the full complement of thimerosal-containing vaccines at two months, four months, six months, because at that time there was no birth dose. So it was two months, four months, six months, and that was it. So it didn't even keep going, but just to six months. Would, what was the likelihood that that child would have a neurological disorder versus children that had zero exposure to thimerosal-containing vaccines? What he found was a relative risk of 11 So to just let people know what that means, a relative risk of two is provable in a court of law. That's it. A relative risk of two and over, 
That's it. It's, it is directly related. So the fact that, and lifelong smoking is about 10 or 11 and lung cancer. So you've got a child, a baby that ends up with a relative risk of 11 just from getting thimerosal containing shots in the beginning of their lives. Well, that was in 2000, June 7th and 8th of 2000. But Tom had been working the year prior to that in 1999, pulling this data. Um, what he ended up going to several of these officials and saying, you know, okay, I've now taken out um, this dose of the shot. I've taken out this dose. I've taken out kids that were preemies. I've taken out, you know, he kept just trying to cherry pick the data to make that relative risk go down. And there's actually an email that says the signal won't go away. And he goes on to say, and we've got that email, it's, you know, through FOIA that we ended up getting later, you know, I've, I've done everything I can. I can't make the signal go below two. They ended up massaging the data more and more over the next couple of years, and they did get it to go down below two. But we've got all of that data, how they started, you know, we call generation one, and then it goes, or generation zero, one, two, three, and four. So there's five generations to be able to get them down below the two. So now they realize they've got a problem. So they pull together not only pharmaceutical people, you know, the vaccine manufacturers, they call NIH, they call um, FDA, EPA, CDC. They're all at this Norcross, Georgia, Simpsonwood Retreat Center that CDC put on. They all meet. And how many all- people, Laura, how many people are in the room? Uh, best guess, um, because I haven't specifically counted in a long time, I would say max of 40. Okay. 40 or 50, but, um, but it could be as low as 30, but around there. Um, so they're all in this room. Walt Orenstein, who was CDC director, starts and he introduces himself, talks about why they're there and they start looking at the data and they're showing these doctors, epidemiologists, NIH scientists about this data. There's a lot of very damning quotes throughout the whole thing. The, it's the Simpsonwood documents, because um, there was transcripts of the meeting. There was, it's probably 250 pages of 278, what- 278, I read them. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and, uh, and so they're talking about the data and what they're seeing. There were some doctors that were shocked. Some said, oh my God, you know, I've got, I've got a grandson that was just born this morning. I need to go tell them not to take a thimerosal containing vaccines. There was an older doctor that was like, we need to do something. We absolutely need to jump in. There were others going, "Mm, well, let's see what we want to do. Bottom line is um, two weeks later, they, the American Academy of Pediatrics and CDC blessed it. They all just, they did not change the schedule. They didn't, they didn't pull anything off the shelves. They allowed thimerosal to continue. They didn't stop manufacturing with thimerosal to like 2003. They continued to put it in flu shots. There was up as late as 2004, 2005, there was thimerosal containing vaccines that had ex, um, ex, uh, expire dates of 2005. We have pictures of those that we were able to get from doctors across the country. So they did, you know, they pull car seats, they pull Gerber food off the shelves if there's an issue. They even pull infant formula off the shelves. But something being injected to children that they knew had a relative risk of 11, they did not pull off the shelves. And that's when the cover-up, at, at least that we know of, started. And, and then children continued to be hurt. And the, and the, mis, the misinformation of, oh, it's been taken out of shots, don't worry, well, it wasn't taken out of shots. It wasn't taken out of flu shots. It wasn't pulled off the shelves. And then when they started having children get annual flu shots with the thimerosal, they were getting the full complement of thimerosal. And then what was even worse is when women, pregnant women, had normally been off limits. Don't inject any pregnant woman with anything. Pregnant women became open season. And they started giving them thimerosal-containing shots, which we also know they, the placenta sucks a lot of the, you know, that up. And so there's more in the fetus than it is in the mother. The, um, you know, we've studied a lot over the years, and it's, it's just 
it's absolutely criminal what they have done to a generation of children now, certainly 35 and under and, and continuing to do and now unleashing so much on the American public of new vaccines that are completely not tested. So forget about the tested ones that are hurting people. These are vaccines that are completely untested and yet rolled out on the American public. Uh, if I might interject here, the, sure. the, the main problem with the position that thimerosal was removed from vaccine is twofold. One, there's no point in time where that happened. It never happened. Okay. And so in 2002, it was all removed. No, it wasn't. You had vaccine lots that were well out into the market whose expiration dates were well into the future. So there was no point in time where this happened. But the second part of this, though, is is more demonic. And that is the dismissive trace amounts of mercury have been remaining in the vaccines after it was removed. So it was never removed. There's still trace amounts of mercury that remained in vaccines. The problem with this is that aluminum was uh, more prominent in these vaccines once the mercury was simply a trace amount of, of mercury in the vaccine. The potentiated toxicity of these two metals created an, just, just as bad a circ circumstance and outcome. So the, the thing that I, I get out of the Simpsonwood document is one thing, and that is at all costs, we're going to protect the program at the expense of the children and the vaccine program will, we cannot threaten it. We cannot tell the truth if it's going to create any hesitancy in vaccination or questioning of the program. It's almost like that saying they love humanity. They just don't like people. Yeah. And the program became that which had to be protected, not the children who the program was supposed to be protecting. The program needed protecting. That is demonic for lack of a better word well it's it shows that there's a the people who are involved with this and i always like to name the people and the companies i mean obviously that there's a lot of power behind the purse of pharmaceutical companies or somebody because it you know it's hard for me to think 40 people are sitting in a room it's landing on their table that we have a problem and then they decide not to do anything about it. And that that meeting was supposed to be in secret. And it was for a long period of time until these the transcript you know, was leaked. Yeah. And that's I mean, that, that's scary. That's Frankenstein science. Yeah. You know, so if people think that knowing that this happened for people to think that it couldn't happen during COVID, and subsequently, whatever period of time we're going through now, because there's a big push with UNICEF and the vaccinations for kids all over the world and WHO and, and what Tedros and these people want to do in terms of turning, turning COVID into a season, mandated seasonal COVID vaccination worldwide. I, I mean, we have psychopaths running these programs. Because it's not about science, it's not about health, it's not about well-being. It's about, as your mother wrote in this letter in the book that Laura gave me, you know, over two years ago, these kids are collateral damage. And, I was being, I was and being families are collateral damage. When I called them demonic. I'm sorry, Scott? I was being polite when I called them demonic. Well, I, I realize that. I realize that we're friends. But I mean, it, it, it truly is, uh, it's criminal behavior. And so, well, and I want to mention too, um, Christine, it wasn't leaked. CDC, we, there was a group of yeah. parents on Safe Minds is the name of the group. And it was started because of these neurological disorders in children and but mercury, actually, Safe Minds, you know, the long, the long name, but it's uh, mercury induced developmental disorders, right? And so they asked for the CDC, a FOIA of everything they had on thimerosal and boxes came back. And it was before thimerosal was really on, you know, the people that do FOIA, you know, they, they just were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Now, I doubt that any of that 
data would come, but it, it did in boxes and boxes. So it was that group of parents. I just so, want to be able to say that. That's so important. so what was the, what was the impact when you guys realized that this meeting took place 23 years ago? Well, I mean, I, I can't even imagine the flood. Anger. Anger. Now, well, and, you know, depression is, you know, and anger is, is depression turned inside out. Right. And so we had been very depressed about our son, as you can imagine. And, you know, all the um, that comes with that. Um, and but then reading that, you know, then we realized they knew it. They knew it all along. They they allowed us to linger. They allowed us. They, they called us, you know, anti-vaxxers, you know, for trying to say what had happened to our children you know, never giving us a treatment, never looking into it besides, oh, it's genetic. And then the money that they poured into it was more genetics research. Like we needed that. You don't have a genetic epidemic, period. So it was it was just the the, you know, audacity of what they had done to us. And and then the absolute, you know, we are going to out this. We are not going away. You know, the parents think about it. How many parents are still around pushing this that we're all part of that that thimerosal generation, you know, when we found out about it in the early 2000s. We're just, you know, we found out what they did and we just, we can't rest until that comes out, until they, and I still believe I can get help from my son if somebody will ever just admit of what happened to him. You know, they, and, and it's happening now with the, the mRNA treatments with, you know, that they need for, for COVID vaccines. They need those treatments. And yet, you know, and maybe we can help these people who, who got injured with the COVID vaccines, but they're, if they can't admit it, if they'll never admit it, then they can't help them. The treatment the most, will never come. That, that, that's the most infuriating thing about Simpson Wood is the, the recognition that this is an iatrogenic disorder, that this was caused by them. And if we acknowledge in any way that this happened, that's a problem for them. Now, why that so makes me very angry is that we were scrambling for treatments for our son. You know, when you have a child who can't control their bowels until age six, you can imagine what your house might be like, what going to school might be like. Uh, getting acceptance and practical living standards by them ignoring this nobody was doing any research as to the biomedical interventions that could be taking place so it left Laura and me and many other parents seeking medical interventions for just the problems that we were dealing with with Jackson basic medical problems that were ignored on the basis of, well, you know, autistic kids do that. Well, why do autistic kids do that? Why do most autistic kids have gastrointestinal problems? Why is it that they're uh, uh, flapping their hands? Uh, if, if they had simply started looking into treatments, biomedical interventions for these children, it would have exposed the cause. And that is the most infuriating thing to me as a parent, is that so much could be done for these, could, could be being done and could have been done. Everything that we did for about a decade was not covered by insurance. That's, that's yeah, tens that's, of it, thousands it, of dollars. Hundreds. After tax dollars that yeah. we spent in trying to find treatments for our son. And, and quite honestly, what we did we did help Jackson. We improved his life. We made him a healthier individual, but there's still missing pieces that could be put together. If only they not have been paranoid about the program. If only they had recognized if we do find treatments that will help these children and these individuals. This was the greatest threat to the program is acknowledging the injury. And that's why they have to demonize the parents as anti-vaxxers, um, uh, desperate parents, uh, whatever, whatever name you want to call it. It's despicable that we don't have, we still don't have 
biomarkers for autism. We still don't have a, 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 a standard practices for treating uh, the gastrointestinal problems that our kids are bringing to the table. None of this is being addressed. And again, the wasted time that parents have to go, the paths we have to go down to find treatments for our child is criminal. Well, and I'm going to put an exclamation mark behind what Scott's saying because, all right, so some of the background is that in 1986, Ronald Reagan signed the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program or the act that then established the program, which started in 88. So as Bobby Kennedy says, it's caused a gold rush, and it did. There were just vaccine manufacturers coming out of the woodwork. And as Paul Offit said, if you get a vaccine on the schedule, you win the lottery, right? So, you know. And this is this, and then the law that, that Reagan signed was basically no liability for the manufacturers of vaccinations in this country. That's correct. So, so it wasn't, you know, yes, everything's always about the money, but it wasn't about the money because they didn't have any liability. So it, it goes back to what Scott's saying. It was all about protecting the program, about continuing to be able to do this, the cash cow, you know, continuing that, because if you find out that anybody's injured, if the American public finds out about that, because then, then maybe they won't vaccinate. Maybe we, we can't make that money. So we've got to protect that program. And so that's why, you know, more and more kids, they, they, you can't get, there's nothing coming from that program. You know, all those 5,000 kids in the autism omnibus, which Jackson was one of those, that was the big lawsuit that was part of the vaccine injury compensation program. Those were all thrown out. Not one child will get any justice from that. You know, it has to be absolutely catastrophic injuries. And even now, to this day, if your child dies after a vaccine, you're only given $250,000 and you have to prove it. You have to prove without a shadow of a doubt that it wasn't just SIDS or something like that, that it actually happened, that it was completely vaccine related. It's very difficult to prove. And then with the PrEP Act, with COVID coming in, which I have to tie that together, with the PrEP Act, which is Vaccine Injury Compensation Program on Steroids, you know, any anything that is, you have to prove, it has to be malice. So not only does it have to be the vaccines, you have to prove that somebody did it on purpose. It's a really high bar. Nobody's ever going to get, I think there've been five or six out of the over a million or so injuries that have come forward. There's five or six that have been compensated. And I think the highest that I've heard to date is $9,000. And these are really horrible injuries for, to people from the shot. Some but, of death and it's $9,000. How do we undo this? I mean, I, I, the event is, is, is happening this week. So, I'm sorry, Scott, you were about to say something. The, the greatest mistake people make in evaluating the justice system with regard to vaccine injury is this notion that there exists a court as if it's a court of law. It's not. It's a court of claims. And if person one goes in and is lucky enough to demonstrate the injury was caused by, and you have to establish that the injury was caused by the vaccine, even though the vaccine insert indicates this condition is a known outcome, the petitioner, the parent, the claimant cannot use the vaccine ingredient insert as a basis of establishing causality. Let me repeat that. The mm -hmm. very pr product insert that identifies outcomes consistent with the injury the claimant is, is asserting cannot be used in the vaccine compensation program. That leaves the parent having to demonstrate causality. If they're lucky enough to demonstrate causality on product A and they proceed with the, the claim, the second person coming behind it, a secondary, a second claimant coming in, identical circumstance, has to go through the same process of proof. There is no precedent 
And the vaccine injury compensation table doesn't have to, uh, you still have to prove the injury, even if it's on the table. So the manufacturers are no are not considered parties to the claim. So therefore, you can't use the vaccine product insert to establish causality. Is that insane or what? Well, it's a racket. It's a it's a criminal racket. It, it protects it protects the mafia from from going to jail. I mean that well, that any any mafia group would love to have have that type. The craziest thing, though, is Laura yeah. alluded to the 5,000-plus cases in the omnibus proceeding. They picked three cases that were representative of these families. The government went in and said, well, no, we don't want those cases to be used. Here's why. One of the cases was the polling case. This was one of our test cases to establish causality for those 5,000 children in, in, the, in the program in the vaccine injury compensation trial. They pulled the polling case. You know why? Not because it was Dr. Polling, a neurologist from Johns Hopkins, who had established the causality in, in his daughter's case so well that they, they pulled it out as the test case. The government pulled it out as a test case that could demonstrate causality for the 5,000 cases that got bounced. And settled right. it. So, it's, so, so, I mean, and, and I get it. It's emotional because it is a racket. It is a cover-up. It is up. a racket, yeah. It, it's a racket. It's a cover-up. Um, and the when David Kirby took on this and wrote this book, Evidence of Harm, which I highly recommend everybody read. Uh, unfortunately, David recently passed away. But the, the, this event that, that's being held, in Atlanta for two days. What's the, what's the takeaway from this, Laura? Give us give the audience some detail if they're going to be in, in the Atlanta area. Um, because, you know, it seems to me this, this all needs to be, this is a wrong that could be righted if people wake up because this is, this is like a Mack truck coming through your living room window and people can put the brakes on this now. People are more awake, I think, now. In you know, when this happened to Jackson, and it happened to the slew of these kids of that generation, and the parents were gaslighted by the system, by the government, lied to, covered up. Um, they knew they knew about the causality at the time, but the problem is we still have we still have it in the shots for the kids today. So this needs to be reversed. People need to be held accountable, which you know, God knows, you know, it seems. It's always amazing to me in the last three years that it was clear that they were not going to, the U.S. government and governments around the world were not going to acknowledge the vax injury. To date, they haven't acknowledged the neurological and the vascular injuries, which we know that the NIH, everybody in the world knows about this in the healthcare, including WHO, for God's sakes. But <clears throat> they didn't want to create the vax hesitancy. But now I think people's lights are on. So what's what's the takeaway? I mean, wh why is this event being held in, in 23 years later? And what do we you hope to do? Um, exactly what you were saying in that we felt like it was it was a time to revisit what had happened because so many people are more awake now. You know, what is the vaccine hesitancy these days? 70 or 80 percent didn't want to take the covid shot, maybe even higher than that. People realize, um, you know, huge numbers of people, large percentage that knew someone or know someone that was injured by a COVID shot. So this idea that they had, they've done a really great job all these years of, oh, there's no such thing as vaccine injury. Keep getting your child these shots um, and, and pushing us to this, you know, the fringe, crazy, you know, anti-vaxxers, right? And uh, marginalizing us. But I feel like with Simpsonwood, there's an opportunity to reach a lot of people finally that were that they're they're they have a heightened awareness of what's happening and they're more likely to listen now. And we felt like it was an opportunity to, to say this has been going on for a long time. And don't just think that it's covid. This is this is not only in the past, but watch out for the future. They are talking about 
rolling out all sorts of other vaccines. There's probably a hundred in the pipeline and I'm not exaggerating. Um, so they be very, very careful and know that it, they are not telling you the truth. So Simpsonwood is about truth. It's about exposing the lies. It's about exposing the corruption. It's about exposing the ongoing um, cover up and corruption um, that continues to this day. And hopefully people will realize that um, it is happening and uh, hopefully we can push back. And I really believe if you, if you stop the vaccine injury compensation program, if you stop things like that, that's where all of this all started, no liability. So if they start having liability for what they're doing to people, that's going to stop. Jackson. So they need to continue. And, and you know, we need to always pushing the truth. Got to get out of the room. Go, please. Jackson. Jackson wants to be part of the conversation. Yeah. God, God love well, him. I've got, a, I've got a six foot two, 265 man naked wanting to blow dry his hair. <laughs> <laughs> so give the audience the details, Laura of uh, where this event's going to be. So it's going to be in Atlanta. It's at the state house there. Um, it's June 7th and 8th. There's a list of speakers, including Mary Holland, who um, is our CHD president on leave. Um, there's many others that were part of that initial um, Simpson Wood, um, not at the meeting, but knew about it. Brian Hooker is our um, chief science officer at CHD. He's going to be there. Um, Lynn and Tommy Redwood um, that were part of this all along um, early Safe Minds parents and uh, now um, our CHD president emerita uh, and Lynn, um, but many, many other speakers that are going to be reminding people of, of what happened all those years ago, reminding people that it happened to our children um, I thought of another one, our CHD um, general counsel now, um, because Mary's on leave, is Kim Mac Rosenberg. Kim helped Mary write the book HPV on trial. So Kim's child also has autism. Um, Mark Blackswell's going to be there. His daughter has autism. So a lot of those original parents from way back when are going to be speaking about this and what it means to continue fighting and to continue talking about the truth. So um, we hope that it'll get wide coverage and that people who are at least now more um, in tune with what shots can do and what the government can do and the lies that the government, you know, it's not just vaccines, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but it, but it, but when you can do it to children, when you can do it to, to people that, you know, they're going to be injured, you are already seeing a subset of injuries, the Pfizer trial data. You know, you knew rolling out this was going to injure people and you did it anyway. Um, these are things that need to be exposed and Simpson Wood will help expose that. The rally. It, you know, it's an extraordinary story because it, it, these the people who make these type of decisions make these type of decisions consciously and without a conscience. And those people are dangerous to humanity. They're very dangerous to humanity, whatever their motive is. And I just, I just find this so, there's no words. There's no words to explain this because it's so immoral. And it should be one of those red flags, tipping point moments when people think, well, they wouldn't do this on purpose. Yes, they do, they are. It is in motion. It is on purpose. It goes back decades. It's not just because of COVID. They do it and they have done it and people know about it. And that's what makes this just so irritating to read, to have read this book. This book should be in the hands of every pediatrician. Yes, I agree with that. Um, I mean, and, and, and somebody should walk into their pediatrician and say, have you read this book? And if you haven't read this book, you should, because you should not be injecting anything into any child unless you've read this book. Well, I'll tell you, look, you know, that's a nice little segue to censorship, because back then parents could 
buy that book. We did have where we would say, give this to your doctor, go take it to your local newspaper, you know, have them write a story about your family. I mean, we did a whole press release, you know, program about this book. Um, But it was New York Times bestseller list way back then, you know, and so, and David was actually on Meet the Press with Tim Mm -hmm. Russell. You know, these are, these are amazing things that we were able to do as parents getting that information out there. And there are groups in the, the mid 2000s that actually come up to Scott and I, and they say, because of what we heard back then, we didn't vaccinate or we were very slow to vaccinate our child and we were aware, but you can't say that now. Parents don't hear this anymore. What we were painted as, because we're around 2008 or so, um, it all just, a lot of that changed. And in 2009, the omnibus came out and said, you know, we, there was no such thing as vaccines and autism. And so a lot of that got shut down and the misinformation began so that, and Bobby's salon piece and Rolling Stone piece um, about the mercury and autism connection, that all got pulled where it was actually put out the same day, Rolling Stone and salon put out Bobby's, uh, Bobby Kennedy's uh, article. Um, about the the connection and Simpson Wood mentioned then um, all that was pulled later. So so the censorship ramped up and now you know very difficult to get anything out there about that would, as Scott says, injure the program in any way. Well, we're gonna, we're going to be pushing this again. Everybody should read Evidence of Harm. Um, they should hand it to their pediatrician. They should hand it to anybody a pregnant mother, uh, you know, a, a father to be. And, and let people know the history of this, because it is it's a very dangerous it's a very dangerous business, number one, because it clearly shows that people lied, not just in the pharmaceutical companies, but in conjunction with government leaders who make policy decisions and turn families into collateral damage. I mean, I, it, it's a war. It's a war that's out there, but it's a war that is winnable if people just wake up to it. Um, we're going to be covering uh, your events, uh, Children Health Events, events uh, down in Atlanta this week. We're going to be writing about it this week and doing some more interviews with people talking about Simpson Wood and the cover-up and the continued cover-up because it hasn't ended. I mean, it, it, it continues today with, with the injections. So I want to thank you guys very much for joining us today. And uh, everybody stay tuned because we're going to be covering the events down there in Georgia. And I know the Children's Health Defense will be as well. And wish you guys good luck. Thank, thank you. you Christine. Thank you very much.